Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, I'm Megan Gray and you're listening to Vocal Girls and Tomorrow Magazine's Change the Record podcast. This week, I'm speaking to the incredibly brilliant comic Lily O'Farrell, who describes herself as an artist and writer known to her Instagram followers as Vulgar Drawings and to others as having an attitude problem. Lily is from London and started Vulgar Drawings in 2018 after finding that drawing her experiences of everyday sexism provided a much-needed outlet for the harassment that she was facing. When she realised that people related to her work, she was inspired to create more and encouraged others to share their own experiences for her to draw and write about. Now with over 150,000 followers on Instagram, we speak about trolls, shared experiences, and why her work is not just hilarious, but fundamental. I'm going to say a sentence very insensitive, but I think I'm probably one of the few people that has massively benefited from a worldwide pandemic <laughs> in that, I mean, the only other person that I know who has is my dog. Because she's, like, every day she's just, it blows her mind that everyone is still in the house. No one's left. Everyone's at their own desk. She's just, like, darting from different rooms saying hello to everyone. But, no, for me, personally, before 2020, I was working full-time and drawing weekends, evenings, whenever I, lunch times, whenever Mm. I could, which was fine, it worked, but when I got put on furlough it was the first time where I was able to make a full-time go of it with like financial support behind me when does that ever happen yeah and then I made the transition of working full-time to becoming an artist full-time in about April so it was yeah so I wouldn't have able I wouldn't have been able to realize that I could support myself and do this full-time if I hadn't if the pandemic hadn't put me on furlough. So oh, that's amazing. It's almost like being forced into a situation enabled you to realise that it was possible. Exactly. So oh, yeah, I was very lucky, but also this is a very hard time. And, you know, thoughts and prayers. It has been obviously difficult as well because it's, it is scary doing something creative full time. Like how the money is so up and down. It's so sporadic. Mm. There's no like solid paycheck that you know you're going to get like I have yeah. in my old job. But it's, I'm very happy doing it. And it's what I've been wanting to do for a long time. So I feel really lucky to be able, have been able to kind of prove that I can. Do you think people have been on social media and stuff more as a result of the pandemic and that's kind of helped as well? Yeah, well, at the beginning, I was like, what is the point in me? Like, this huge thing <laughs> is happening, this huge, terrifying thing that no one knows anything about. And here I am drawing pink pictures of like annoying things guys say in the office. Like I felt, <laughs> I felt like it was so tenuous and so insensitive. But to my surprise, people wanted to engage in that stuff still. Because obviously it still affects you, you know, you're, yeah. you're locked up at home, you're still working over Zoom, you still have those interactions. Yeah. So, and also I think, I think potentially there was an element of escapism in it. So I think once I realised that people still were still hungry for it, it just, you know, made me go even further and I was churning out drawings every day. So to people that don't know you, how do you describe what you do? Okay, if I'm at like a dinner party, which is very <laughs> rarely, say I'm at like an event where I'm speaking to a 60-year-old man and I'm trying to be polite, I say I, say I do politically charged drawings because it's very vague and but then if they're if I you know get a vibe that they're into it I'll be like yeah I do these like 
explicit feminist cartoons. And they're like, oh, cool. But if I'm talking to someone like you, I'd probably say I do like comic. I'm a comic artist and I do drawings about everyday sexism. Because you get that. You're like, yeah. you, you use that language. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say that. But it's still, I'm still, it's still evolving. I still don't really have a name for it. And I struggle with people, I struggle with what the word is because people say illustrator, but that's not right because that's when you're drawing for someone else's words. Mm. And I do draw, but I'd say 60% of the work is the writing. Yeah. So artist and writer is probably a better description. Yeah, that's such a cool thing that you're kind of combining mm. the two. I love that it's, I've got both of the two but it also makes I have this real imposter syndrome of like the art world yeah. and that I don't I'm not good enough or I don't I'm not don't quite fit in so kind of having two identities makes me feel half as worthy to both worlds if that makes sense yeah so it's okay I'm finding my feet and people in the art world are so welcoming and so I'm really trying to change it and make it a little bit yeah. more inclusive so that's been those people have been really positive I think that's one of the problems with if you're someone that kind of does a lot of different things it can feel like you're not you're not excelling at one in particular and I think actually sometimes people that are just really really amazing at one thing it's kind of easier because at least they know that field right through and through but if you're kind of good at a few different things then it's like oh you know I don't feel like I'm doing any of them well enough yeah yeah but that's our generation right you gotta make yeah. money everywhere lots of little jobs yeah to pay your you know ridiculously expensive flat somewhere not in London so we have like I think the phrase is patchwork career so we have our hands in lots of different bowls and that's what I'm even now like I'm starting to get itchy fingers I'm like well is there something else I can do yeah (laughs) yeah start a podcast (laughs) (laughs) why not What song did you choose for your yesterday and why? So, obviously, I spent weeks thinking about this <laughs> because with Des- some, something like Desert Island Discs, you have like 10 songs, but three songs are <laughs> somehow. So, I'm so, so sorry. No, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> so, this song, I actually really surprised myself with this, but I chose Mahalia. If you don't know her, she's a UK based artist. She's from Leicester. I think she's, I just love her. I think she's great. And the song I chose is called I Wish I Missed My Ex. And I chose it because. When I hear that song, I feel like I can taste rum and coke in my mouth. Like it's, <laughs> it's basically it's my university and kind of sixth form hanging out with my friends song, and it's when I listen to it, it makes me so happy, but it also makes me so sad because it's sort of like that feeling when you know when you see a picture of your younger self mm. and you're kind of nostalgic, but you're like, oh god, you knew nothing and you yeah. were you thought you were happy, but you probably weren't, and you were actually a little bit self-destructive and mm. a little bit um, insecure. And the other thing about this song that I love is that my one of my best friends, she loves Mahalia. She has like the most eclectic music taste. So this song would have been on a place with like Will Young, an example, <laughs> like Lily Allen. I love that though, that's the best. Yeah. So she introduced me to her and I think of her and I think of this song and she's someone that I've known since I was really young and we've gone to, you know, grown up together and it feels happy to be able to be, I feel happy to be able to look back on that time and know how much happier I am now and yeah. how much we've grown. And, you know, that it was fun going on, you know, seeing two, three guys in a week and drinking all the time yeah. and not setting up to, you know, not taking life seriously. But now I feel like a grown up. Yeah. And listening to that song makes me kind of roll my eyes and smile at that time. 
When you say you've kind of grown so much since that time, what are you directly referring to? So it's about understanding who I am, I think, and knowing myself, knowing what I want, knowing what makes me happy. And that's all part of growing up. And I feel more comfortable with myself with each year, which yeah. I think is great. But I think a little bit of it is the wish I miss my ex stuff is kind of... I've stopped get I've stopped allowing people to treat me like shit. Mm. I've stopped um putting up with late night texts and ghosting and people call me intimidating because I'm wearing fishnets. I don't know. Like I <laughs> I've stopped I've stopped dealing with that probably because those guys have grown up too, but I think mostly it's because I've been able to be like, "No, you know what? I deserve better than that." And mm. I'm going to have the friends around me that I make me feel good and the men around me that make me feel good and anyone else I don't have time for. So how did this whole thing all begin for you then, the account? So I was, as I said, always really interested in comedy and writing and I was a like a doodler in that I loved art but I didn't think I was very good. I used to draw, always draw people growing up and they were always like weird, wonky-eyed, kind of creepy <laughs> things and I always talk about on Instagram how I've nearly failed my art GCSE because it just I just thought it was bullshit like I just hated it writing an essay for every piece of art it's just I might as well have done English and it really saps the fun out of it when you have to like analyze everything you're doing doesn't it exactly because sometimes there isn't a reason sometimes mm. you draw a flower I drew a daisy with a on my Instagram that was rolling its eyes just because I wanted to and now I'm getting that tattooed on my arm like there's no sometimes there's no reasons behind anything yeah so anyway so I was really involved in that and then I was living in Melbourne at the time and I was writing for a sketch comedy group and also working as a waitress and I was just reaching boiling point mm -hmm. with the amount of stuff I was dealing with. I was dealing with a shitty chef at work who was sexually harassing everyone and I was just starting to notice everything more mm. as I got older, starting to be more angry. I was just fed up with what I'd been dealing with forever. Yeah. Uh, and I was drawing loads on the back of receipts at work <laughs> and still writing. And I just kind of had like a light bulb moment where I thought, why have I not combined my two loves together? Like, mm. why have I not given this creepy little receipt man a speech bubble? So I just did it. And then I put it up online as a whim and it, everyone was responded really well to it. And I think it's that, that leap that you have to take where you hope that everyone is thinking what you're thinking yeah and everyone has experienced what we've experienced and it's scary but more often than not people are especially yeah. women so that's what happened and people started sending me submissions for ideas and from there I was drawing every day and then it grew and now I'm here and I how mean, long ago was that that was three years ago in February wow and now you've got almost 140,000 yeah. followers on Instagram it's I never I never would have expected it to take this route. I thought it was just something fun I did on the side, but it became more and more important to me as mm. I did it. And more people responded to it, which was amazing. And even with writing comedy, when I was doing stand-up or when I was doing sketch writing, the most important thing to me was about writing about this stuff and making people laugh, but more than that, making them feel less alone. Yeah. And that is what people tell me, which is what keeps me going. Yeah, I mean... The fact that you have got such a huge following in such a short amount of time kind of shows the magnitude of the relatability because if people weren't relating to it, then it wouldn't obviously have done so well. So it kind of shows you what's actually happening out there. Yeah, totally. It's really, it's an amazing feeling to, because it makes me feel 
less alone too but it's mm. an amazing feeling to see people respond to it and to be able to put the words in their mouth that they couldn't quite it's sort of that feeling that you can't really put into words and you pull it out from the sky and then put it down on paper and it's like a, a light bulb moment that people have where they're like fuck that happens to me all the time yeah but now you know maybe now I have the confidence to speak about it to that person or have the confidence to point it out when it's happening yeah I've seen you describe your work before as you draw what you wanted to say in the moment oh god yeah that's I should have said that why did I say that um that is exactly it's kind of, yeah that's exactly it it's the it's the arguments I have in the shower mm. that's I, the comebacks I wish I'd had yeah totally because I'm not I'm com- I'm an outgoing person but I'm really not that extroverted in real life and you know off social media so I think some people think that I must be because I do these really bullshy, confident yeah. drawings. But really, in real life, I I, so, I do sometimes stand up to people, but most of the time I don't, which I actually think is quite normal. Yeah. Do you think that doing the drawings is enabling you to be more confident in real-life situations? Absolutely, because of the response I get where I'm told that I'm not alone. Yeah. So. If it's happening to lots of people, I think it makes you feel more... I feel the injustice of it more. Yeah. And I feel the confidence because I feel I have all these people to behind my back to say, no, this this really is a thing and you're yeah. doing it and stop. <laughs> yeah. And do you find that, like... I know you said you had this kind of light bulb moment when you started drawing. Was that, like, a huge release then in terms of your... being able to put your emotions somewhere? Yeah. It was so cathartic, yeah. Because doing sketch writing or doing stand-up there's always it, it was cathartic in the same way but I guess there's different structures in like how long the joke should be the punchlines where they you know how it runs into everything and with this being able to have one singular drawing that is just about this and can be whatever I want it's just I have complete control over it it's mm. in my world it's an amazing responsibility to have like it's so it is a huge release when I post it and send it out into the world and people it's important and it and to people and they relate to it I think one thing as well is that with creative people you always have to have something that you're doing that's creative if you don't you just sink into sadness yeah for me that's the case so if it wasn't drawing it would be something else but the one thing I would say with the drawing is I have to really hone myself in and keep it funny because the funny thing is actually really important to me mm. and I always try and make that the centre of everything. But the it's amazing to have so much control, but at the same time I can get lost in that yeah. and I can try and work to the algorithm. What I know will get loads of likes, which is like a brushstroke kind of Oliver bonus picture you might buy from Etsy that says like <laughs> men are trash. And, you know, that's funny and that works, but... I have to stop myself from working to that algorithm Mm. and do what I actually believe in and what most importantly makes me laugh. Why do you think it's so important to keep the element of comedy in these drawings? I think, firstly, because if I'm trusting what the whole origin of the account is, which is that people think like me, Mm. is um, I process things through that lens. So funny makes it approachable, funny makes it like easy to share easy to understand easy to talk to people about it mm. it's just like how I understand everything but I also think it helps to include men in the conversation I think that yeah. if men find it funny I think it's easier to approach but also on a kind of selfish level I think it's my USP I think mm. it's 
I think it's hard to make feminine, not always, but it can be hard to make dark topics like sexual assault and difficult things to talk about funny and I'm learning and I'm getting there but I think to be able to do that is something that not many people can. That's a massive not humble brag. (laughs) No it's true it's true. Yeah so right now I try there's so many illustrators which I think is amazing so many artists sorry Mm. on Instagram but I'm just trying to carve out my own kind of accent and the funny thing is that I think what will take me there. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever do stand-up comedy again? I've thought about this so much. And <laughs> I loved doing it, mostly just because I love the people that I met yeah. doing it. But it's not my thing. Like, it's it's so fun. But the way that stand-up works is it's all about you write you write your set, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, and you you perfect that mm. and you do it again and again and again and you, you tweak jokes to get a big, bigger laugh and you you make these edits and I was so bored after the first five minutes. I'm like, I'm going to write a new one and it's not that's not how yeah. it works. It's just uh, my boyfriend says it's because I had a happy childhood so I don't need the <laughs> affirmation of laughs from the audience, which I, didn't, I think actually could be part of it in that I know it was never going up sta- on stage to get laughs. I was going on stage to use it as a platform to talk about what I was interested in and yeah people you know people it, it was okay it was funny I think but for me the the drawing and the writing is what is what I love and it's what keeps me satisfied because I work on this thing and then it's done and it goes in the drawer and then I start something new yeah but with stand-up I'm not able to do that it's such a slow process I was too impatient and what was your experiences in terms of being a woman in stand-up because I know I've got lots of uh, friends who are female comedians cool and they've had kind of a few bad experiences yeah where they'll like be the only woman in the set and then someone will assume that they're one of the comedian's girlfriend or something yes, right yeah so I had moments that I experienced obviously I was only doing it for 10 or 11 months experiences that I have had in every industry that I've worked in but there were definitely moments where I would I was doing stand-up material like my drawings, so I was doing funny stuff about sexual assault. Mm. Sounds like an oxymoron, but... um, And then I'd have this... I remember this one gig, I did that, and then this this guy who was a comic came off stage after the show and came up to me and grabbed me by the waist and kissed me on the cheek and said, well done. I'd never met him before, but it was a real, like, fuck you. It was a real, I know what you're doing and I'm going to take this power back. And me and this other comedian, oh, he was so infuriating. It was infuri- it was so awkward as well because me and this other comedian who I just met, who was a guy, was just standing there, and we were both speechless. And this guy just walked off. I never saw him again. I still, I don't know his name. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Also, he did this really awkward set about how he was a tantric orgasm masseuse, <laughs> and it was just really unfunny and just sent shivers down my spine. So, um. So yeah, I've had, I've definitely had moments and I've also, you know, been the only woman on the bill and with 10 other comics and the audience was about 50 people and the only woman in the audience was my friend who I brought with me. And that is just like, it would be okay if I felt like those men in that audience were willing to listen to me, but I knew that they weren't. Yeah. So, and also that night there were three paedophile jokes in a row it's like really are we still doing jokes oh is, my God. is that still funny they weren't even good ones they were like uh oh i can't go within two meters of a school like that's the punchline wow <laughs> okay yeah so what would you say then to men uh that say women aren't funny i would say they're 51 percent of the world's population so 
whatever they're talking about is important. I can't. You fuck. It's like, this is such a good question. I just wish I had like a, this is exactly why I have my Instagram account because I go home and I think about it and then I'm like, I Honestly, have a comeback. Honestly, you are going really hard on yourself. You're you're speaking perfectly. Oh, thanks. I don't mind you keeping this in. It's real, you know? It's the real vulgar drawings. <laughs> okay, so um, I would say that you're just not listening. That's, I think, what I would say. They're 51% of the world's population and what they're talking about isn't other it's not political it's not it's not not relatable to you we're the majority of every, like with over half of the world and everything that we're experiencing is normal it's just people think that comedy is i was, I was thinking about this in the shower this morning i was thinking about how where all good thoughts happen yeah <laughs> i was thinking about a drawing i did recently about like the menstrual cycle and about periods and PMS and I was thinking about how annoyed I get when people in comedy or even not people who watch comedy say that all female comedians talk about being on their periods and it's a stereotype but it's also one that is based on the truth that women will talk about being on their periods because if you're a comedian who is does you know observations about the world if you're a woman you know or someone who has periods you have one week of every month yeah. where you're experiencing this and the, the other three weeks are centred around building up to this week. <laughs> so of course you're going to do material about the world that you live in. And it's, it seems ridiculous to me that men think that that is this, like some men think that that's like a political act or something to disclude them. It's like the amount of male comics that I've seen do stand up about picking up women. Like yeah. I don't even think the amount of hours they spent adds up to the amount of hours that I've been on my period. So <laughs> of course we're going to do material about that. And that's, I, you know the the whole like it's political it's other thing it's not it's just you think that the neutral position like the neutral go-to mainstream position is white male comic yeah but it's not you've just fallen into that and everything else is actually probably quite mainstream and boring mm. like periods So what song did you choose for your today? This one is totally different from the last one. I'm actually, also I want to say how nice it is to be able to talk about music because everyone always asks me about art or comedy and stuff, which is great and I care about that stuff, but music is something that I'm really into and I love. Music is life. Yeah, exactly. So it's really nice to be able to to talk about it. So this song is Vashti Bunyan, Diamond Day, from her album, Diamond Day. It's a beautiful song. It's a great song. But I, the reason why I chose it is I love this album. So I was kind of flicking through thinking, you know, which song can I choose from this album? But I think that, the, you know, the famous one is the best one. And it's the kind of the one that I think represents the album the best. Yeah. But mostly it's something I've been listening to a lot because I have been at home drawing on my own a lot. And it's just been great. I've loved it. I've loved every second of it. And as I get, older and as I get better at drawing and better at understanding myself I'm learning how much I love being on my own mm. and how much I love my alone time and how much I love just spending hours locked in a room listening to music like this drawing writing thinking and I think when I was a teenager or maybe you know a young adult which I, I guess I still am I would have kind of punished myself for that I would have thought that I must be just bored or I must be lonely but 
I'm learning that I can be a social butterfly when I want to be but it's great that I love my own company and that I'm learning to do that and really like this is probably like the whitest thing I'm ever gonna say but really what I want is just like a cottage and like a little golden retriever (laughs) and this album playing with some scented candles like some herbal tea and me and like an easel like Olivia Coleman in Fleabag just like this artist in a caftan I think this year has actually done that for a lot of people yeah it's kind of stripped everything back and made you realize what you actually really want totally totally and for me it's being left alone listening to Mm hippie music about someone driving a caravan through Scotland. (laughs) So do you listen to music a lot then while you're drawing? Yeah, so I sometimes listen to podcasts, but as I say, about 60% of the work is the writing. So it's impossible to do both. Yeah. So um, I listen to music for most of the time and I'm actually working on a Spotify playlist that I'm going to make public called Songs to Draw To, which is kind of this music. It's like a mixture of I call it happy sad. Mm. So it's music that makes you sad, but also makes you happy. <laughs> it's very because this is one of them. I think it's kind of a, it's yeah, it's a happy. It makes me happy, but there's something I think about her, her whole album that's really I find really tragic. Yeah, and the same with the next song. But yeah, I think I mean my a lot of my friends and my boyfriend will listen to like soundtracks from musicals or like yeah, really upbeat stuff. But I find myself. 90% of the time going back to the music that makes me cry but that's not I really don't think that's a bad thing yeah I listen to sad music a lot mm. I find it the most relaxing yeah, I don't know too. if that's weird but... no and also if you're if you're like creative I think that it makes all that stuff yeah better. it energizes you yeah so yeah she's one of them for me she's my main one of my go-tos my drawing playlist I yeah uh, I think I find that my mood responds so directly to what I'm listening to mm. like this that's why I literally can't listen to energetic music before I like in the evening unless I'm going out obviously oh yeah me neither like if it's like an hour before bed if I put on like anything upbeat I'm like oh my god (laughs) too much energy I can't sleep at all no I would never do that I to be honest I don't know when I actually listen to upbeat music apart from if I'm walking and I feel like I have a cool outfit on (laughs) that's the only time that. and then you find yourself walking to the beat exactly taking big strides barging people out the way yeah. feel like you're in like a film don't yeah. you yeah <laughs> yeah like Cameron Diaz and the other woman yeah. <laughs> obviously for a, an account that actively kind of calls out the bullshit that women basically mm. face every single day I'm assuming that you get a lot of negative responses to this yes how do you cope with that honestly I think a lot of people find this a difficult subject but the trolls are kind of my favourite part of it, especially at the moment. That's so interesting. I yeah. So I don't know if it's... Okay, I was explaining it to someone yesterday that I said I feel like I'm Stacey Dooley or Louis Theroux because I feel sep- I feel so separate from it. So when I'm, when I'm on my account and I get, for example, a message the other day from a 17-year-old boy in Rome that says, mm. die in a fire, which is, you know... Oh, sweet. Pretty normal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I don't think oh fuck he wants me to die I just don't I think I find it so fascinating like what is Mm. it that makes you do that what is it that makes you so angry and the truth is is that I'm working on a piece of writing at the moment about this but the truth is that the more the hatred that I've got and the really targeting kind of angry messages and the pop the you know the way they've gone up higher and higher and higher as my followers have got increased has made me more sympathetic I think to teenage boys and to men because 
I'm starting to learn how modern feminism works as I'm navigating it. And I also, I'm starting to learn its faults. And I wonder if I I kind of think that being a man is very lonely, mm-hmm. especially, you know, around now. And I don't think that they have many support networks. And I wonder how, very true. and I'm trying harder, I'm working on lots of drawings at the moment too. It, it made, make teenage boys feel more included in modern yeah. fem- in today's feminism because I don't know actually if they do and everyone says feminism is for men as well but we're not talking about it that much so I'm trying to branch that out a bit I mean the truth is is that the comments are actually really and the dms that actually do cut me are ones from women because I feel that it's Mm. just that's just personal because then it's like oh I'm not doing my job that's what it makes me want the work isn't good but in terms of the trolls from men yeah they've gone skyrocketed as I've my followers have gone up uh they're also calculated so I'm really interested in all this stuff that's what I mean by like the Louis Theroux thing I did sociology at uni and uh I've I've known about incels before I even started doing this account so involuntary celibate for anyone doesn't know what that is um and I read up about them in my spare time I'm I'm I have a alter ego on Reddit where I'm joined into men's rights and incel subreddits. Amazing. So uh that must be so interesting. Yeah, and also because I have this meme account and I love mm. memes. It's a real male it's a really male dominated world as well, the meme world. So that's something that I kind of have my hand in. So everything that I get from the trolls is not new to me. It's all it's like oh you played that card. Oh, okay, you've played that card. That's interesting. But the truth is that Honestly, 90% of them are under 18, and that I find really odd. A lot of the time I find it quite funny, because they're just like, it's like, you've clearly not read it. Like, it's just, it's the the knee-jerk reaction that is the one that I'm just like, I don't pay attention to. But there is also an element of, these trolls make me appreciate the supportive men so much more on my account, because they're a really solid group of men who follow me. I mean, you know... It's only 9% still. <laughs> and they are so amazing and always DMing me. And I even had one really, actually, actually really interesting moment that happened where I, there was a troll that I was regularly recognizing his username and I had restricted him, which means that it's not, it's like one step before blocking. So it means right. that he can still comment, um, but he doesn't realize that it's kind of in a shadow. So only me and him can see it. He doesn't right. realise that no one else can see it. So it was a really clever way of Instagram doing that. So I was seeing that he was still harassing, trying to harass my followers, trying to harass me. And then he goes quiet for a week. And then I get a DM from him saying, how can I be a better man for my girlfriend? Oh my God, I've just got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. And I really... No way. Yeah. And he was about 16. So I, I know this because I clicked on his profile. So I took the time and I spent about 25, 30 minutes writing... That's amazing. And it's so, I mean, how do you even start? Because I don't know how, I don't know what she wants, but I was trying to put, what did I want when I was 16? Mm. And I wrote out a list of things and I used like personal examples of things that I liked that made me happy that my partners did. And he was really grateful and kind of embarrassed. But it made me, that's I think what started this conversation in my head of like, oh, okay. Like, I think maybe they're more, engaged than I realise. Yeah. And this knee-jerk reaction, this anger is, is covering something else that's mostly just an insecurity and like wanting to know more but being yeah. afraid to ask. That People like that I find fascinating and mostly yeah, I don't care if the trolls attack me. I really don't. But the thing that I hate is when they attack 
people who follow me yeah. because if people are trying to show their support in the comments and then they get discouraged from doing that that really bums me out because you know yeah it's a space that I want to be shared with them it's interesting that you said about what that guy said because I mean most hate does come from a space of fear anyway mm. and you know in in that sense it's kind of like a lack of understanding makes him angry and in a way your account is kind of explaining in you know accessible terms through comedy what not to do and what to do and actually that's a really powerful way of speaking to men I think exactly I think I just think the gear needs to be changed slightly where I just am a bit more clear and like men I'm talking to you now like this is yeah you can feel happy and comfortable here but I totally know what you mean about fear and it's also fear of someone taking back control yeah taking control away from something that you had um and I'm what I'm trying to work on a drawing at the moment with and what I'm trying to kind of put into words is how I think a lot of men think that this account and a lot of feminism is pointing and laughing at them yeah. but really it's like pointing and laughing at this thing above them which is the patriarchy and everything else yeah. that controls us and they think that they're in that cloud but they can come point at the cloud and laugh with us but it's that's such a good way of explaining it <laughs> so true but it's trying to get them to understand that and yeah. women as well because nobody responds well to feeling attacked and and you know but actually if you see that for what it is and kind of look at the issue and then want to grow and change exactly like, surely you want to grow and change exactly and what a, such a cathartic thing to be able to do like some of the drawings that I love doing the most and I don't always do them because I think they're they're very borderline uh, in terms of people get very upset by them but the drawings that I love doing the most are the ones where I'm mocking white women and white feminists yeah and I'm working on a drawing at the moment which is like a white feminist bingo which is things like you know like chunky earrings from Etsy (laughs) and like Leonard Dunham (laughs) but I love there's like honestly nothing more freeing than being able to completely rip the shit out of yourself and if and the men who do that those are the ones that I feel most comfortable having these conversations with So what song did you choose for your tomorrow? I chose uh, Thinning by Snail Mail. And I want to say that's a band, but it's not really. It's one person. But I just think it's such a cool name. Yeah, and I love this album. I just love this genre of music. And I think that there's like a growing number of these women who are often younger than me. And I get that feeling of like, fuck, what am I doing with my life? Like Snail Mail is like, I don't know, like 22 now. And oh, it's the worst, isn't it? When people are younger than you, like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And there's another artist I love called Sydney Gish, who does this kind of music. But so this song I love because it was, I think it was my most played 2019 song. But it's one of those songs, like I was saying, that's so, I think if you listen to the lyrics, it's really sad um, and really angry, but it makes me happy. And I think that's one of the things I've learned over whilst doing this account and just you know growing up a bit is anger is a positive thing like anger is like an energy that you can harness to create amazing things and you should hold on to it and keep being passionate and angry about these things and sometimes I look around at people I know as they get older and they kind of mellow out yeah and they become more insular and they become much less angry about the world and sometimes when I listen to this song this song it's a way of bringing me back and for me it's a way of getting my 
blood boiling again and mm. it keeps me angry it keeps me like motivated and it keeps me in that headspace that I want to be I want to be an angry 18 year old for the rest yeah. of my life I want to have that passion like argumentative attitude forever like I've had three or four different men in my life tell me I have an attitude problem and that is the kind of I want to keep that I want that to keep happening yeah <laughs> I was going to ask you about anger being positive mm. because I know that one of your prints is kind of answer back and yes one of the and my tattoos I haven't she doesn't say it but it's the face amazing yeah because I think in society often anger is considered negative and it's like stay calm remain calm but actually I think sometimes anger is the way to make change happen because totally. if you're not angry um about something then you're kind of just indifferent to it and Mm -hmm. sometimes indifference is the worst thing of all oh it's worse it's way worse I there's so much I could say about this but for me I think anger and passion go hand in hand yeah and being passionate about something it's like why I get up in the morning is to do this stuff and if I didn't I like I think everyone needs a cause and and you know we all have a cause if you if you're not angry about something, it's not because there's nothing to be angry about. It's because you're not paying attention. It's because you're one of those people who doesn't want to watch the news. 100%. It's, you know, and... Um, and it's exhausting sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's exhausting, but I also think, for me, personally, it's it's what energises me. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that there's um John Lydon, who's used to be the in the Sex Pistols. He has this book, and it's called Anger Isn't Energy. And I've never forgotten that, that title, because I've just thought, like, oh, it's like that's exactly what I've always been trying to put into words and it's an energy that I want to hold on to and I just don't as much as I love the idea of having that cottage with that golden retriever <laughs> and Vashti Bunyan playing you can do both I can do both I have that yeah. I have both personalities but I want to be able to enjoy my life but I want to I want I don't want to be I want to be angry all the time you want to speak up and continue yeah. to do so yeah exactly yeah I wanted to ask you a bit about your audience because I know that you've said before a lot of your content comes from asking the audience to share their own experiences. What have been the most common themes of things that you've heard from people about their experiences? So I mean, the the DMs that I've got from people sometimes can be exhausting because it's like a little bit of therapy. It's like therapy sometimes. Yeah. The things that people share with me are so hor- horrifying. But I'd say the in terms of the day-to-day stuff, a lot of it is people who've come out of bad relationships yeah. and are looking back on these, not just relationships, maybe just like, you know, flings or yeah. people they were sleeping with, people that they fell in love with, looking back on the way that they were treated. That, I'd say, is predominantly. For me, that was never the case. I'd had shitty Tinder dates and people that I'd been sleeping with, for sure, and like that was loads of the material, but a lot of it was actually from like bosses and co-workers and... Yeah and even friends yeah so I find it really interesting that that's what people relate to because that was never my go-to but I'm learning more about how prominent abuse is in Mm. relationships and I did an ex-boyfriend a kind of public on my story an ex-boyfriend thing with the with my followers once and that I think was the one that blew my mind the most because it was like it was like how are people getting away with this how do people think this is normal yeah and learning all about those slut like kind of quiet abuses that tap away at you which are the most common ones 100% right so I'd say that is the most prominent thing but also I think I'm learning more about it and kind of reading up on it but I think the most one a very very common thing that people talk about is like acquaintance rape so sexual assault with someone that you know because 
for us growing up, it was never perpetu- It was never told that it was going to happen in that way. Yeah. It was like Some in a scary movie. man. Exactly. Mm. It was like a man in a mask. Yeah. But that's ten percent of the actual cases are that. Ninety percent is someone that you know. And so I think there are people that are out there that ha- this has happened to them and they haven't realized because they've never been told. Like you know, they've realized, but they aren't able to see the gravity of that situation because they've never been told that this exists. Yeah. So a lot of it is just like misinformation that we've been fed. The same with, I think that this has also come up with sex education. So discovering your sexuality, mm. discovering that your your orgas- orgasms are important. Because again, like my sex ed was periods and childbirth, yeah. but it was a lot about wet dreams and boners. Like what? Yeah. What? Who's dropped the ball there? <laughs> so I say, yeah, top three would be ex-boyfriends, acquaintance rape and sex ed. That's, I think, I think, that summarizes like the world though like that's probably what not just my instagram but that's just what a lot of women are dealing with yeah and when uh, sorry no go go i was gonna say when you put that out about the ex-boyfriends thing was there any kind of common themes that were coming back within that yeah well the common themes were the the things that i recognized were patterns of abuse so there was this thing that someone said that i'd never heard of before but it was that they went out for they'd go out for a date and she paid for everything because she just was earning more but she would hand him his her card so that he would look like he was paying at the end like that's what he would ask for i would oh, never no. expect a guy to pay for my food i always insist on splitting yeah but i find this that just like that kind of it's so loaded that whole interaction because yeah. it makes me feel kind of sorry for that guy because i because that's there's something making him feel pressured that he has to be seen as doing that yeah. and that's that's the thing that's the cloud above him thing that's not necessarily him behaving badly that's the cloud it's the patriarchy yeah. so that was something I, I, that blew my mind and loads of people were like oh my god honestly about 10 15 people had had the same thing and also the weight stuff was very interesting so like someone forcing their girlfriend to put on weight forcing them to lose weight that blew my mind but the one thing that's I still find hilarious is uh, going to Nando's and asking for lemon and herb chicken, but asking the staff to put an extra hot in it. I and saw this on your account. This literally mad. made my day. Yeah, because then an ex-manager from Nando's messaged me and was like, this was in our management training because it happens so often. No. I think that's how common it is. That is actual madness. Yeah. Like, I cannot believe yeah. that. I mean, on a more serious note, the way that people are kind of contacting you about these experiences your account's almost providing a service in a way for people to feel like they're reporting things that have happened to them that aren't on paper serious enough to be reported in law that's such a good way it's kind of like they're validating their feelings and their experiences that happened in that moment that they weren't able to anywhere else exactly because the stuff there's stuff like that blue balls one, that drawing that I did about why the phrase blue balls is really bad, basically. That is, again, an, a classic case of something small that people don't realise chips away, but this that's just something that leads to sexual assault. The phrase, don't give me blue balls, is just like, I'm about to assault you. Like, that yeah. is honestly what it is. And it's when you are able to put it down in writing and drawing and kind of put this argument forward, that's when I think it starts to click in people's heads. And it's not... You know, it's all little things that build up to the big thing. And I think that's, it's all small, everyday sexism is what builds the big cloud. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get across. And I think sometimes for people in relationships where it's like kind of niggling little things, Mm -hmm. I think when you're one-on-one with someone, it's actually quite difficult to 
see it objectively you know seeing stuff like what's on your account and being able to be like oh yeah actually this is this isn't just me this is you know the way things should be or shouldn't be right it's so cool it's really powerful thanks so i ask everyone if you could change something about tomorrow i.e our future what would it be if i was like you know some kind of religious omnipresent leader that was able to perform magic i would give everyone empathy like way more empathy and i would also just kind of yeah i would give i would make everyone take a second to try and understand everyone's point of view a little bit more and i think that that's actually probably not what people would expect me to say because i think a lot of people would assume that i'm the kind of person that would jump and be like that's sexist or Mm. call that out and i totally believe in that but I also think that there's a lot of alienation that's happening with men, um, especially young men. And I think that is what is helping the incel community to grow. So, and, you know, the men's rights movements, the neo-Nazis, etc. Yeah. So for me, I think, you know, that's very easy for me to say as a white person to be like empathize with your racism. Yeah. I don't mean that. I just mean with every argument, trying to understand the person behind it, because I think that that is what helps you to dismantle their argument and get them on your side. 100%. And then having those conversations are the only way to change things. Right. So empathy, you know, a big one. And I've experienced that on the other hand too from people not being empathetic towards me, assuming that I'm... uh, There's a word when you're like, signal, uh, virtue signaling. Assuming that I'm doing it for the cash. It's like, really? If I was doing it for the cash, I don't think I'd be an online artist. (laughs) Like, I'd probably be doing something that earns a lot more money. (laughs) How do we move forward on breaking down gender role stereotypes? In terms of breaking down gender stereotypes, maybe stop like in and retweeting JK Rowling. But unless you're doing, you know, like queer theory at uni or uh, gender studies or sociology, whatever, you're not going to learn about this stuff. You have to learn it for yourself. So that's really important. Um, I also think that, I think, bring it back to empathy again, but I think that that's really important. Um, to understand how to speak to someone and to talk to someone about what what they want. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. To be able to, you know, for me to be able to talk to my friends and, and be like, you can't talk with me saying this or like, yeah. what would you be comfortable with us talking about? And yeah. So and like, you know, no, you're fine. And not kind of trying to control how someone else should feel. Yes. And exactly. tell them how they should feel. Right. I think who are we to say what someone should find offensive and what they they shouldn't yes exactly um and as we finish i just my favorite quote from you is chase your dreams with the single-minded determination of a man at vodka revolution <laughs> i think we should all live our lives oh, i love that i forgot about that actually <laughs> it's so good i love oh, it oh great thank you uh, thank you so much Lily. thank you so much for having me it's been so great to talk yeah, to it's you been really nice and tell people where to find you so you can find me on Instagram at vulgar drawings without the R, as in vulgar without the R, and on Twitter. I'm trying to tweet more, so please follow me on there. And my shop is vulgardrawings.com, but you can also find it, you know, through Instagram. And I'm going to be launching loads of fun Christmas stuff, and I really appreciate you looking at that because you know it's hard to make money as an artist, and buying merch is sort of like paying me for my time. There you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much the brilliant Lily O'Farrell of Vulgar Drawings. She's so smart and brilliant and just really makes you see things through a different lens. I highly recommend following her Instagram account, Vulgar Drawings, if you haven't already. In next week's podcast, I'm speaking to the most talked about new artist of the year, Arlo Parks. 
Responsible for soothing the nation in one of the most difficult years, Arlo's medicinal music has earned her serious success, including winning BBC Introducing Artist of the Year. So definitely make sure you catch that next Thursday. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Vocal Girls Club and at TMRWMag. I'll see you next week.